Welcome to the Nation's Church Podcast. On this episode, Pastor Darren Vaughn shares a powerful message that will inspire you to ask, what does God want for me? My friend, God has a destiny that is unique for you, but sometimes God has to interrupt our own dreams and teach us to dream with Him. Comment to let us know where you're watching from and what God is speaking to you through the message. Before the message, let's take a moment to pray together. Jesus, we want to know you personally. Today, stir our hearts to hear your voice. Teach us to follow your plans for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just really believe that God wants to speak to you in a profound way this morning. So no matter what I'm talking about, and you see the title of the message, Living the Dream or Living the God Dream is what I'm going to be talking about, but I believe that the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking to every individual person in this room exactly the way you need to hear from him. So whether you need to hear comfort, whether you need to get counsel from the Lord, whether you need to receive direction from the Lord, whether you need to receive conviction from the Holy Spirit in your life to draw you closer to the Lord, I believe that he is able to translate this message in a way that will hit every single one of you if you have a receptive heart, amen? So can you have a receptive heart to what the Lord wants to do in your life this morning? All right, have a few. How about everybody else? Can everybody else... Have a receptive heart to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. All right. Thank you, Jesus. It's never that God doesn't want to pour out. I, I believe a lot of times it just depends on us. Is our heart open? Are we ready to receive? So I'm going to be talking about living the dream. How many of you ever heard the phrase living the dream? All right. Some of you have. It means living an extremely ideal life, especially into in relation to one's career, and I would go even farther for those of you sitting here, and in relation to one's ministry. It refers to the modern take on the old expression, American dream. How many have ever heard of the American dream? All right, and so the American dream is, you know, one day I want to have a house that's, you know, 6,000 square feet, and I want to have five bedrooms and four baths and a three-car garage, and, and I want to have three brand-new cars in it. I want everything to be paid for, and I want to have a loving spouse, and I want to have a son, and I want to have a daughter and a dog and a cat and a goldfish and a turtle, and I want to have it all on 10 acres of land with a white picket fence around it and never have any hardships in my life and have everything I could ever want or ask for. How many, how many of you, that sounds like a good dream? They're like, you're baiting me, right? I don't want to raise my hand to that. But this morning, instead of talking about living the dream, I'm not referencing the American dream, but rather learning to dream with God. Aligning and defining our dreams in light of the will and in the intention of the Lord for our life. Now, if I went around and asked you if you had a dream, you would either say, I do have a dream, or I did have a dream, right? No matter how young you are, if you have sons or daughters that are four or five or six years old, I bet you they have a dream to be something, right? Like I went up to my son who's six years old and uh, here a couple of days ago and I said, Samuel, what do you want to do whenever you get older? What do you want to be? And he said, well, daddy, I want to be Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> oh, all right. 
Well, that's great, Samuel. I'm so glad you want to be Sonic the Hedgehog. And I had to, I had to you know, get down on his level, get down on my knees and, and say, well, well, son, you know that Sonic the Hedgehog isn't real, right? Oh, yeah, Daddy, I know that Sonic the Hedgehog isn't real. I'm like, oh, okay, well, then, then what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be Sonic the Hedgehog, Daddy. And so I'm, I'm trying to break it down. I'm like, so do you want to run track or cross country? Is this about speed and wanting to be fast? No, he wants to be a blue hedgehog that talks that's really fast named Sonic. So I will revisit that topic a little bit later on in life, and I'll ask him what, what he wants to be. But, but today, I, I believe that sometimes we come to God and we say, well, God, I've got an idea of what the dream is that I'm, I'm striving for, and we tell him what it is. And I think sometimes God has to get down on our level, on his knee, and, and say, but listen, I know you want to do that, but I have something so much better for you. Are you willing to lay down your will, your desire, your ambitions, your goals at my feet and take on my will your life. Because here's the thing, when we think of dreaming about something grandiose that we want to do, we usually leave out the hardships, right? We don't think about the difficult moments that we will have to walk through. We just look at it as a, as a highlight reel of what we want to accomplish. And a lot of times we put this unneeded pressure on our lives to look like somebody else's life, and it creates jealousy, it creates frustration, and it creates an endless cycle of performance and competition-based living. And we think that this just exists in the secular world, but it's alive in the church. It's alive in ministry. It's alive on social media. For those who are on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, I'm sure you have your favorite, you know, influencer, celebrity who's on there. And you, you go and you follow their stuff and, and you're like, wow, if one day I could be like that person. And again, their posts read something like a highlight reel, like ESPN highlight reel. And you never see the hardships. You don't see the depression and difficult moments that they walk through but you see the highlights. There's nothing wrong with the highlights. We love the mountaintops, but what happens when we're like Paul and we're in a, a hard Roman prison with our feet shackled to somebody else and we're riding there to the churches trying to encourage churches when we ourselves need to be encouraged and we're saying things like, I've learned that no matter what I'm going through in life, how to be content. Whether I abound or whether I have lack, I'm learning how to be content. Listen, my friend, true contentment is in hearing the voice of the Lord for your life. Not in looking at somebody else and saying, well, my life has to look like that. You know, I'm content to, to do what the Lord has called me to do here. Why? Because I have the burden of the voice of the Lord on my life that says, Darren, this is what I have called you to do. And I love what I do, but I'm not, looking, I'm not looking at like Scott McNamara. I love him. Man, he's awesome. He's a great influencer, and there's many things I can learn and, and, and receive from his life or Pastor Russ's life or Pastor Daniel's, and, and I love them. They're great ministers, but I could look at their life and think, well, my life's incomplete if it doesn't look like their life. 
I can be encouraged to go after certain things, but for me to try to mold my life and for you to try to mold your life to make it look like somebody else when it's outside of the word of the Lord that he's spoken to you, my friend, means that you're off base. Means that you have not yielded your will to the Lord's. It's like Jesus was able to say in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, you got to think, just a few weeks earlier than that, thousands were following him, and then all of a sudden, all of the influence that he had seemingly was stripped away in a moment, and he's there in the garden facing the most difficult moment of his life, and if he was just trying to make his life look like somebody else's or make his ministry bigger than ever, he would have just been like, you know what, I'm not going to go through this. But he realized, Lord, there's your will, and I need to lay my will down so that your will can be done. And if Jesus had to do that, how much more do we need to do that? On November 16th, 1811, something very unusual happened to the Mississippi River. Now, the Mississippi uh, Mississippi River flows from its northwestern point of Minnesota down to the Gulf of Mexico, almost 2,400 miles. But what happened in 1811 was unprecedented for the river. An earthquake hit the state of Missouri, and it had a strange effect on the river. For a short period of time, the river's direction was interrupted, and it flowed backward. Listen to me, my friend. I wonder if God allows our lives to be shaken and disrupted to change the flow of our lives to better resemble his will. See, because any dead fish can flow in the direction of the river, but only a fish who is alive can swim against the flow of modern culture. Only a fish who's alive can swim against the flow of the spirit of the age, my friend. We are called to be living fish. We are not carried about by every wind of doctrine. We are not carried about by whatever's most popular. But we're carried about by the burden of the word of the Lord on our life, saying, this is what I have called you to do. See, my friend, we all have dreams, we have ambitions, we have goals for our life, but are they consistent with the purpose, the callings, and the giftings God has given us? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Most people are either content with their life or they've learned to live within the current parameters of their experience, and they never imagine that things can be different. I knew a guy once who... who, uh, was from New Orleans, and he lived there all his life to the point that Hurricane Katrina came through and, and washed away all of his stuff, washed away his house, everything that he held dear, and he thought that New Orleans was like the greatest city ever. Now, again, if you're, you're from New Orleans, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, all right? I'm not saying it's not a good city. But he said once he moved out of the state to another state, he realized that what he thought was the greatest city ever wasn't really as great as what he had originally thought. Why? Because it only seemed great because he had never lived anywhere else. And I wonder if there are times that we've not allowed a shaking from the Lord to happen in our life that changes the direction of our life, and we we say, well, this must be it. This is all there is to my life. There must not be anything more. Today, could you allow the Lord to shake you in a good way? 
Could you allow the Holy Spirit to redirect you? Sometimes God has to interrupt our own dreams and teach us to dream with him. So what does it mean to dream with God? It means to have vision, to see things the way he sees it. Listen, vision is not only what we see, but it's the way in which we see. If we have a scratch on our glasses, how many of you wear glasses? You've got prescription lenses. Have you ever gotten a scratch on your glasses? How does that affect your view? You see everything around you with scratches. You know, spiritually speaking, sometimes on our our lens of life, we get a scratch on our glasses, and then all of a sudden we begin to view everybody and everything around us with this scratch. But the problem doesn't rely in the people. The problem doesn't lie, or, uh, lie on God, but the problem really lies with us. Today, I believe the Lord wants to give you a higher perspective. When we dream with God, he gives us a higher perspective. The problem with the church sometimes is that we have sight, but we don't have vision. We see what's directly in front of us, but we can't see what God is doing all around us. It's like we have blinders on, and the Lord's trying to shake us and get our attention and tap on our shoulder and say, hey, I've got something different for you. I've got something better for you if you would just turn and acknowledge me. But we're so intent on going our own direction that we blind ourselves to the will of the Lord for our life. And the whole time we're saying, but God, I have a dream. Would you please just come and bless my dream and my goals and make sure all of this stuff happens for me the way that I want it to happen? And how many of you ever found out that 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 may just not be in God's playing cards to bend his will to yours? More than likely, it isn't. It's us saying, nevertheless, we need to be a nevertheless people. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will. It's not about me. It's not about my dreams or my hopes. It's about you, God. What do you want to do? I know life might not look exactly the way you want it to look right now. But are you able in this moment to cling to the word of the Lord for your life? To say, but God, your will is better than mine. Mark chapter 10, if you could turn there with me, I'm going to be reading verse 46 to 52. Mark 10 starts with Jesus on a journey. He was on a mission. He knew where he was headed, and nothing would keep him from fulfilling his ultimate assignment. But in this story, we'll find out that faith has a way of getting his attention. It says this in verse 46 in Mark chapter 10. It says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you, and throwing off his cloak. Some of us need to throw off our cloak. We need to throw off our past. He sprang up and came to Jesus. I I love the way it puts this. I'm throwing off my cloak to spring up. And what am I springing up to? To follow Jesus. Where is he going? I don't know. But wherever he's going is better than where I currently am. 
It says, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The thing I love about the story of blind Bartimaeus being healed is that he had vision even though he didn't have sight. He could see better without his eyes than most of the people around him could see with their eyes. He noticed the presence and power of Jesus, and he saw that Jesus was leaving Jericho, or, or yeah, Jericho at that time. And he thought to himself, I have a small window of opportunity. He hadn't noticed me when I came into Jericho, but I'm going to make sure I don't go unnoticed as he walks out of Jericho. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Come on, my friend. Have you, have you ever felt like you had people around you that when you were passionately pursuing Jesus, they were telling you to be quiet just like they did to Bartimaeus? Like, Bartimaeus, just be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Can't you see? He's already traveled through Jericho. He's going on to his next thing. But Jesus heard him. And he told those very people that were telling him to be quiet, he said, call him to me. Wow, talk about a gut check. And then they had to watch Jesus perform a miracle on what that's this guy. And I wonder if the whole time Jesus was ministering in Jericho, if those people missed their God encounter, missed their God moment, because all they were thinking about doing was silencing the beggars and the blind people that got in their way. My friend, have you ever felt like Bartimaeus? Have you ever felt like the beggar? Have you ever felt like the one that was trying to get Jesus' attention and everybody around you was saying, stop being so passionate. Stop crying out to him. He's got better things to do. He's not gonna waste his time with you. But then in the midst of your crying out, Jesus turned around and he said, I heard you. I felt you touch my garment. I felt virtue leave my body. And because of your persistence in seeking after me, I'm going to give you what you have asked me to give you. Thank you, Jesus. See, God desires to break into our generation, and one way he does it is by interrupting the way we have been trained to think. The vision of where God is taking you, listen to me, has to be more significant in your mind than what he's trying to take you from. The vision of where he's taking you has to be more important in your mind than where he's taking you from. Sometimes we can't go forward with God because we're trying to drag along with us what we had in the past. Oh, God, let me go with you, but don't tell me to drop this. If this was really you, Jesus, you wouldn't make me drop this thing in my life. Let me carry this along with me. And he's saying, if you really want to follow me, give everything you have to the poor and come follow me and you'll have riches. Drop it. Drop it. Come on, I feel the Holy Spirit saying to somebody in here today, it's time to drop it. It's time to let it go. It's time to pursue Jesus. It's time to go in the direction he's going, not in the direction that you want to go. It's all about yielding our will to the Lord. Matthew chapter 16, if you could turn there with me, verse 13 through 20. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Let me ask you a question. What do you say about Jesus? What's in your heart about Jesus? Is it just what you have heard everybody else say, or do you have your own personal history with him? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Listen, my friend, in life there's a public opinion of Jesus and a personal opinion of Jesus. Jesus was asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? He wasn't doing this because he wanted the approval of the crowds. He wasn't doing this so, so he could say, oh, people are saying that about me? Well, that sounds negative. Let me change my whole focus, my whole vision. Let me change the whole direction of where I'm going so that I can have the approval of man again. That's not why he was asking them. He was really asking them to get to the second point, to the second question, but who do you say that I am? Today, my friend, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? Are you looking to the culture to tell you who Jesus is? Or do you personally know him? Are you building history with him every single day of your life? I love what A.W. Tozer said, once said. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do you think about God? What comes to your mind? It will affect every other thing. It will affect your perspective on people. It will affect your perspective on life. It will affect your perspective on what you're supposed to do. What you think about God really does matter. Let me tell you two things as the worship team is coming back up. Peter gained a personal perspective of Jesus through the Spirit, and because of that, Jesus granted him two things. The first thing was a change of identity. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. Simon was a very common name at the time, but Jesus changed his name to something uncommon, to Cephas or Peter. His name comes from an Aramaic name corresponding to the Greek Petros, which means a mass of rock detached from the living rock. Peter's identity was no longer about him. His identity was tied to who Jesus was. That's what I love about this. It's like, you're a rock, Peter, but you're a rock who has been detached from me, the living rock. So that he could one day say to Peter, he said, you know, Peter, at one point in time you went where you wanted to go, but there's going to be a time where people are going to lead you where you don't want to go. And he was prophesying that to Peter, talking about Peter's death. He's saying your identity is going to change so much, Peter, that it's no longer going to be about you and selfishly what you want for your own life. Your identity has been changed so much that now it's about me. And if it means that you have to go and you have to die for me and be persecuted for me, now I see that you're ready. That you're ready. Number two, 
the second thing that, that Peter gained when he got a perspective of Jesus through the Spirit. He gained the keys of the kingdom, which gave Peter both access and authority to understand and impart the realities of heaven on earth. I love what P.K. Bernard said. He said, a man without a vision is a man without a future, and a man without a future will always return to his past. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says it this way, where there is no vision, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. One translation says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. My friend, today, do you have a vision? Do you have a revelation? Are you still seeking Jesus with the same passion that you did whenever you first came to him? Are you still dreaming with God? Are you still yielding and laying down your will to him at this moment in your life? Are you still saying, Jesus, come live your life through me? Or have you gotten cold? Have you gotten a little bit indifferent in your walk with the Lord? Have you got a little bit complacent? Listen, it happens. It happens. But you don't have to remain there. And today I believe the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on your heart, on your spirit, and saying, I want to interrupt your life today, just like the earthquake interrupted the Mississippi River and caused it to, to, to flow backwards. Today I want to interrupt your life. If you would allow me to, if you would feel the nudge on your shoulder from the Holy Spirit this morning, he's wanting to turn you. He's wanting to turn you, my friend. Do you have vision? Are you still dreaming with God? Have you ever had a dream from God? We hope you were encouraged by our Nation's Church podcast. Share this with a friend who needs to know that God cares for them. God bless you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.